this is Waris Hussain, and you're listening to Gallifrey Public Radio. Yeah? Gallifrey Public Radio, a weekly podcast dedicated to positive enjoyment of Doctor Who. We travel through classic and new episodes, explore the extended universe, and play a few games from time to time. We do discuss news, content that has been officially released, and the occasional interesting rumor, but we'll warn you before anything considered spoilers comes up. Welcome to episode 473 of Gallifrey Public Radio, where you think a fleet of Daleks flying out of a mothership is bad? Imagine Bonzo and 20 of his grease-painted friends pouring out of a Mini Cooper. I'm Julie. I'm Kier. I'm Haley. And I'm Jay. And this week, Phil Ford and Russell T. Davies don't really have to look far to find a new terror for the Sarah Jane adventures, as circuses have been bringing them around the country for generations, and no one seems to stop them. <laughs> In The Day of the Clown, Rani Chandra has moved into the now vacant house across the street from Sarah Jane, and it takes all of about 15 minutes for her to get embroiled in the next paranormal adventure. Kids have been disappearing, and lo and behold, the common factor seems to be the creepy clown handing out tickets near public transit stations. We soon learn that the mini-faced clown at the heart of the problem may be the actual Pied Piper of Hamlin, and that it all stemmed from a meteorite that landed centuries ago. And unless the team can sidestep their fears and shove the evil entity back into the stone it came from, kids from all over are going to be handed a red balloon and follow the grinning ghoul never to be seen again. And if you don't exist anymore, all the harm you've done is reversed. The children you've taken will be returned, at least the ones taken from here. Look! But you cannot destroy me, Miss Smith. No one can destroy fear. It is part of you all. I am part of you all. How do you fight fear? Well, what can we do? I'll tell you what you can do. Now, if you're so concerned for your son, let me take you to join him. I'm sure your disappearance in time will give me much nourishment. All right, Mr. Spellman. Listen to this. Two aerials got married. You should have seen the reception. Clyde! Another child. Another frightened mother. Yes. You have a ticket, Clyde Langer. You keep away from him. What do you call a sheep with no legs? A cloud. <laughs> Police station toilet stolen. The cops have nothing to go on. What do you call mm. a fish with no eyes? <laughs> a, psh, a magician. He's driving down the road and he turns into his house. What <laughs> is this? Come on, folks. How about a little bit of audience participation? Factor aside, the story has something great going for it in the form of its guest villain, one Bradley Walsh. Woo-hoo. How long did it take you all to recognize him? Until right now. <laughs> <laughs> You're joking. No. Wow. Okay. It, I watched it on a very small screen. <laughs> Fair. It was when uh, when he came out as Spellman. And then even after that, like I was like, okay, but who's playing Odd Bob? Like it... I didn't right. really, like I had to go and search and find out no it was actually him. Yeah. Yeah. 
When you have that many extra teeth crammed into your face, it's a little bit hard to recognize you. But Valid. I didn't catch it when he came out as Spellman. And then Kier said, hey, that's Bradley Walsh. I was like, yes, it is. <laughs> Here, I, I'm going to hand you this point. Yeah. I'm not used to being uh, creeped out by Bradley Walsh, so I didn't put yeah. the pieces together. Yeah. yeah. I will say, I mean, I give him a lot of credit. He was genuinely entertaining start to finish yeah. in all, yeah. I guess you could say three of his personas, because he had the, the Pied Piper persona as well that he was in for those yeah. couple of moments. Different accent for each, mm-hmm. you know, uh, different, um, his American accent is interesting. It's, it's, I've heard a lot of people from the, the UK say that the, the Southern dialects of America mm-hmm. tend to be the easier to emulate. So mm-hmm. partially because they're just so wide and varied that you can kind of fudge them up and nobody's going to be like, oh, well that's, yeah. No. Well, and it's also right. like sure. a that's period Alabama. Southern accent. True. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's probably something to do with like swallowing your R's mm-hmm. and things like that. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, I I I loved it. I mean, I, I yeah. yes, granted, first time on viewing, I didn't recognize it with the face paint and all, and the and the mm-hmm. and the you know the the dental fixtures and such. But uh, but yeah, the, the Spellman reveal, and then I, I kept looking at and and again, yeah, Jay, same as you, I'm thinking, well, was that did they have a was it a bigger guy? It seemed like a bigger guy, wasn't the mm-hmm. Odd Bob a bigger guy? But no, it's just just. Oh, a lot of creepy ass I'd, prosthetics. Well, you you'll see maybe stood on platform shoes because oh, clown yeah, shoes, big shoes and big shoes, you know. big hair. I, like like I said early on, like when we were getting ready for the show in the text message, I was like, "Okay, Bradley Walsh, we still love you, but we are not happy with you right now." Fair point. What I was going to say is that I don't think it makes the clowns better, though. Even <laughs> no. though it's a Bradley Walsh, it does not. Yeah, I don't care who you're putting in the grease paint; still doesn't make them better. Um, yeah. But at least we can credit Sarah Jane as having as sharing all of our genuine concerns about clowns mm-hmm. entirely. Yep, one more reason to love Sarah Jane. Yeah, that little flashback was kind of interesting. Getting that uh, how how old was she, you'd say she was? Maybe like seven or eight in that little moment. Yeah, maybe even younger. Mm-hmm. Um, Learning some of her backstory about the fact that she lost her parents very young, mm. which I don't think has ever really been discussed. So. Seems like a very small moment, but I'm wondering if that will come into play a little bit more, or if it's just a little bit of more depth for her character. I think it may already have in some in the way that she is she embraces but is uncomfortable with parenting. Mm-hmm. You know, not having that that solid model, uh, or the fact that she just she felt very pr- instantly protective of Luke as being that uh, that parentless child. So yeah, yeah, that's that's a that's an interesting uh, draw. So this episode gives us the scary clown element, the classic Pied Piper tale, and then mm-hmm. an alien entity that feeds on fear because hey, this is Doctor Who at the at the heart of it all. Uh, which one of these sort of sits at the at the forefront? If you were to sort of stack those and try to describe the story to someone and say, okay, it's it's really at the heart of it is this. What what sequence would you put those in? Well, that's tough. It's kind of easy to go with the the clown story because one, it's the most terrifying, and mm. and two, it's it's all over the place. Right. I don't know. I, I I was gonna say I think I'm gonna remember this as a scary clown story because that's the part that sticks out the most to me. Like if I'm remembering this episode a year from now, that's what I'm gonna remember. It's like oh, that's the scary clown one. Mm. 
I feel like it has to be looked at from the storytelling perspective to even pull it apart. Like, on the base level, yes, it's just a scary clown story. But you can't have that if you don't have the Pied Piper as the beginning of it connected to the alien entity, which gives you the how does that fit in modern day? And how can you Mm -hmm. tie all of those things together? So I think while if someone hates clowns, please don't watch this. uh, (laughs) But if you're looking for the thread that ties it to what makes an episode of Doctor Who or science fiction, then then I think you call it a Pied Piper tale with the alien right? that resulted in creepy AF clowns. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a retelling of the Pied Piper story in a sci-fi sense using clowns as the modernization, but like not even, I mean, the clowns are kind of like the action. It's the, it's like the runaway with the circus kind of thing. You know, circus comes to town and then it takes all the kids with them. Mm-hmm. All right. What, what was the, the the expression that they used to use for a while? They're like, uh, you know, kids would threaten to say, "One of these days, I'm gonna I'm gonna run away with the circus," and parents would say, "One of these days, I'm gonna sell you to the circus when they come through town." It's it it kind of taps into both of those things. It reminds me a little bit of the uh, Torchwood episode, also with clowns and sort of the circus element to mm. it, where they were face painted in the black and white. I think it was more mm-hmm. of them coming from film strips, but yeah. mm-hmm. it's the same idea where people are lost to something that is historical that gets tied to how do you pull that to modern day? You you make it something that can loop through. Could have been mm-hmm. a band, could have been anything else, right. but they went with clowns. Right, yeah. What was that that one with the, the vaudeville performers? Uh, I don't know. Go back and check. We, we, we reviewed it like not even a year ago and we've already <laughs> forgotten it because we're idiots, but hey. See our recorded works for our opinions on that show. (laughs) (laughs) I will point to my CV. Thank you. (laughs) So Ronnie is now in the picture. And between her high journalistic curiosity and her added connection of being the new headmaster's daughter, her incorporation happens fast. Too fast or on pace with the show's MO? It was really quick. Don't don't tell her any of the secrets. Oh, here are all the secrets. (laughs) I mean, it was really quick, but at the same time, it's like as soon as as soon as it started rolling, you're just like, okay, we know she's going to be part of the team. Like, let's just, mm-hmm. let's get there. Let's do the thing. It's stop right. pretending like you're not going to give her everything. It's just, it, it felt like one of those, like, as soon as she came on, you're just watching the clock to see when everything kind of falls into place. So I think they earned the ability to push her in quickly because of her backstory that she is the quote journalist that she's always been curious and they sell it with the mom explaining that kind of stuff even outside of knowing that she's interested and accepting of all of the science fiction stuff but then also that you get luke and sarah jane both at the beginning saying no no don't tell her clyde always says tell everyone (laughs) it's fine but then slowly Luke comes over to the dark side of bringing her in and then sarah jane kind of comes into it so i feel like it did happen quickly, but there was, for one episode, a little bit of the progression. Otherwise, yeah, you can't wait till next episode. Then you lose all that extra time of character development between them all. But mm. I, I think that they set her up to be allowed to be included that early. I wondered in the first scenes, her first scenes, 
why she was quite so gung-ho to find out everything. Um, and it was almost sketchy. Like he expected her to have, you know, some kind of evil underpinnings. And if you ask Robert Shearman, she does. But, uh, <laughs> but that's, that's his input. And who's he to say, oh, only a veteran writer and principal character creator. And he actually has a great theory that Ronnie is the Ronnie and on and on and on. Um, he explained it to me once. It went way over my head. Anyway, um, <laughs> you digress. Yeah, but, but I had that. I had that feeling through it. I'm like, you know, she's because her her dad comes off immediately as being very two faced. You know, there's his at you know, on the job face where he's Captain Bly, and then there's his home face where he's oh he's like a totally different character. And I'm expecting Ronnie to be one of these things where she's, oh, I'm a new student. I want to be everyone's friend. Look, I'm really affable. I'm really eager to know everything about you and get to know all these things. And as soon as I'm alone at all, you know, the mask slips. I, I will say that for someone that is as sweet and lovable as we know Sarah Jane is, she's a real pain in the ass when you first meet her. <laughs> yes, she keeps everyone at a strong arm's length and... I think for the right reasons, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's pretty spiky. No, absolutely. Especially kids. So in, and what is st starting to become a, a recognizable trait of Phil Ford's scripts. There's a low key scene from early on in the script. Clyde's getting in trouble as a joker. And then he becomes the solution at the close. Is this, is this okay? Given how it finally allows Clyde to have you know a big moment in the story or is the trope just a little, a little tropey. Hmm. I think the, uh, the book ending, I have no problem with book ending. You know, the, you know, the, the Chekhov's gun, you know, becoming your thing at the mm. end. This, the, yeah. this is like along those lines. Uh, but it's, it's a, it's a scene establishment that becomes, you know, the, the key that you need. And you're, you're almost not supposed to pay attention to it early because, oh, it's just Clyde. Um, mm. I, I give it a pass, even though it does kind of scream trope to me. I give it a pass because Clyde needed one of these moments. I like it when he has the forefront in these stories. It doesn't happen often. I think it happened in the laser tag story. Mm -hmm. And and again, in this one where he really gets a chance to shine and show that he's more than just the, the goof. Um, this time he leans into being the goof and it has its merits. Um, so I let it go. But I, I, I do not lose sight of the fact that, yeah, this was, they, they, they sort of teed this one up real early. I'm always amazed at people who can keep those types of jokes in their brain at the ready. And <laughs> I know it's a script and it's written there for him to have. However, I know there are people who really do that. And you ask me to tell you a joke and you'll get like the awkward orange and banana knock knock <laughs> joke or like the pig is dirty one. And uh -huh. then you want to hear a clean joke? The pig went and took a bath so i like it because <laughs> i i appreciate that so much more when it's it somehow fits into a real life scenario um, but yeah I, I do definitely think it's a tropey thing but i like it i like that it was all like popsicle stick jokes that's mm -hmm. true <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh man, I, I'm so glad I bought you know five dollars worth of bazooka joe <laughs> so i could get all these great zingers I used to buy those joke books that would have all of them written for you. And the only ones you can remember is Orange <laughs> Banana and the Dirty Pig Joke? 
this is what I'm telling Money you. Money well spent. Sucks about being in my brain is that it can't remember <laughs> things. So yeah, I, I like like you said, Kier. I the fact that you know Clyde was making jokes at the beginning is just kind of that's Clyde. That's not really a you know a big thing. It's so it, it didn't really register to me that that was like setting things up towards the end. The only thing that got to me is like when we get to the end and he's telling the jokes. Who was laughing? Nobody was laughing at those jokes, the but then you hear laughter in the background and it's just like, this. I don't understand how this is supposed to work. The robot clowns were laughing. Yes. The laugh track yeah, was okay. laughing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He got the not, the notons. They're not autons. It's <laughs> uh, like the cast of Chuck E. Cheese was, uh, uh, was, was going at him. I don't, I, I think I, I give credit to the one line again, throwaway scenes, throwaway lines. There's one point where Clyde says to when he's sitting outside the the headmaster's office, and the other kid walks up to him and says something like, "Oh, you know, you got yourself in trouble again, you know, you, what have you?" And Clyde responds, "It takes a lot of intelligence to be like this," you know, I'm paraphrasing, but it's true because in yeah. that moment of duress, he's got to tap into his repertoire of of crappy popsicle stick jokes and keep them coming long enough and and with enough. Uh, fervor like he's got to sell them so that he can get everybody else in on the gag too and it can become you know the the powerful moment that it is so credit to you clyde hey we actually have news this week weird yeah and and it's not based on russell t davies uh dropping hint bombs on reporters it it is coming from Russell T Davies' uh, upcoming era of the show. We still don't have anything new from from Chibnall, but at this point, that's not a surprise. No, we're not gonna. We're not gonna. I'm I'm waiting for an air date. <laughs> yeah, I really like to see an air date. But um, we had um, uh, a couple of events over the the course of the last week. Um, uh, one of which was the London Trans Pride Festival, and um, Yasmin Finney. Uh, was up on a, a float, I think, at one point, and stopped and was able to kind of talk directly to the crowd. Uh, it was her first opportunity to uh, to attend the Trans Pride Festival, so she got probably a good you know three four minutes uh, to be able to, to speak directly with the assembled crowd there. And she was super excited about her skyrocketing career right now, um, both with Heartstopper and now the announcement uh, of her casting within Doctor Who, at least within the 60th anniversary celebrations in whatever form they take but really kind of sticking it to boris johnson in his final day or days in office there too she got an opportunity to get a couple pokes in there too but included uh, in her great speech is there uh look for uh find pink news on twitter and find their tweet from uh july 9th and you'll be able to uh to see the about two and a half minutes of of her uh her speaking with the crowd and puts this little tidbit of information in there that says that uh, her character, also named Rose Tyler, is a trans character. That's huge. Yeah, I think it goes back to the representation matters. And in a show like this, I think it's time for there to be that representation. Mm -hmm. Without question. Yeah. The other event going on, uh, or that happened within about the past f- four or five days of, uh, of our recording here, uh, was the South Bank Sky Arts Awards. Sounds like a mouthful, um, but it's another red carpet event, uh, assembled uh, pop culture talent, and Shuti Gatwa was there, 
And of course, they're going to start asking him all the questions they possibly can about how things are coming along with 14th Doctor news, uh, of which he can't really discuss anything. But in his own admission, he has a big mouth, (laughs) which if you follow him on social media, yeah, he'll talk about anything, which is great because he's eloquent and wonderful. But if you're his boss, don't tell him anything. (laughs) he has a huge social media presence and can't keep his mouth yeah. shut but what did what, what have we found out at least i mean the, the few things that he was able to actually one is news and one is just oh wouldn't that be great he did say that he's he's had um he's he's gotten to have a say in what he calls his exciting doctor who outfit so nothing about what it actually looks like but actually pretty thrilled yeah i know I remember like the the photo shoots from Matt Smith trying on a few different things and he would just have to stand mm-hmm. there and uh, get, get photographed and all these things. I know Capaldi had a lot of say in right. how his uh, his costume both began at the outset and how it uh, evolved over time as he went from being the the thin white duke to uh, space floof uh, rock star daddy uh, over the course of his day. I remember Jody also had some say in her boots she wanted to have something that she knew would be comfortable and could run in that mm-hmm. looked like it would fit a character who runs so much yeah. i think the suspenders yeah. were her call too yeah and i think the crop pants too I, mm. like i i think i remember hearing that kind of conversation or yeah. reading it i'm excited yes. to see what he would if he's excited, it, I, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm excited to see what the the end result is going to be, and then once we've gotten that reveal, finding out how much of it was his input. Because I mean, yeah. we know they have like you know phenomenal costume uh, department there and everything like that, but I'm I'm curious how much was like this is what I am bringing to the doctor kind of thing, and and how much of it is his personality versus the image that RTD yeah. wants this doctor to have. Mm-hmm. where he sees it going based on the story and the personality they're going to build together for it. Mm-hmm. But if he can keep that one a secret because they won't let him have any of the pictures, probably <laughs> one of those no phone zone type things. And, right. uh, you know, I think it's really funny that he's not being told, but I know that there are other actors who get the same treatment because... Either they have spoiled something or they're just afraid that it might happen. So I totally get it. And I wonder, though, on the flip side, if as shows are airing and when they are allowed to make those announcements, if we will get some insight and additional info or at least excitement from his social media presence, which would be really fun interaction, which Mm -hmm. we haven't really seen a lot of. I think that like with RTD at the helm, we are going to get some of that. Like he's going to allow some of that to, to start to come out and he'll probably, you know, loosen the reins a little bit on, uh, on shooty as it gets closer, but it'll be interesting to see like how it plays out. Right. He has always, he, he has the, uh, uh, an established sort of fashionista persona as well. I mean, he dresses well all the time. Um, right. you don't see the, the, the candid photos of him, you know, coming out of a, uh, out of the shops in a, in a t-shirt and a, in a pair of black jeans or anything like that. It just doesn't happen. He's always, he makes statements, uh, when he appears. Um, and even, you know, as we were, we've been watching, uh, quite a bit, we're in the third season of sex education and his <laughs> granted, um, Eric's character is, is, is 
grandiose and 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 huge and out and proud and 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 as Nigerian, he also has very bold colors and things like that. And I really hope that some of that kind of bleeds in to to the fact that this is going to be a, a big splash. So, because historically we look at Russell's other two doctors, you've got nine. It's a black leather jacket, very and a monochrome yeah. T-shirt, yeah, and a and a skinny guy in a suit. So. With not, chucks. Okay, so that's okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying that's a. I'm just saying like yeah, that, that's that was what it. it was. It's just like your plain shoes and a suit. Mm-hmm. But I just think we're arcing back upward towards. We've been trending back towards more of a costume rather than. Oh, that's your outfit. Yeah. the The last news article we've got is is uh, just. Shooty talking about the one of his his former co-stars in Jillian Anderson and how much he would love to bring her on Doctor Who as a villain. Yes. I don't I'm, I, I'm here for it. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. I've I mean we're we're big fans of her. You know, this goes back obviously for you know fans of a certain age, you know, take it all the way back to Saint Scully. Uh but I don't think I've seen her play villain characters often at all. Uh, or if they were, they were never the big bad. Uh, they were just sort of, you know, um, not to be trusted sort of characters that sort of sat in the periphery of, nah, I'm, I'm more neutral. I'm, I'm kind of chaotic in that regard. Wasn't she a villain in American Gods? Would you consider Media a villain? <laughs> kind of. She was one of the more sympathetic, antagonistic characters, I guess. But yeah. And especially as Media started to have to give to uh, 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 Kid Internet. You know, and that that balance, uh, you know, that that's where the yeah the the sympathy sort of came into it. But but yeah, a, a straight up big bad evil Jillian would be I, amazing. Yeah, I I can't think of a time that I've seen her play anything like that, but I want to. <laughs> Although, if that's not in the cards, I also wouldn't mind just seeing her be a one episode companion or something that adds to a story. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think the news part of it is that he said that he would play opposite her, and I'm... Yeah. yeah. I would look forward yeah. to it. They have a, a, a pretty hilarious relationship off camera. Uh, she's super supportive of him and has, has uh, I think, conveyed a, a, a lot of uh, ad- advice and, and just sort of mentoring to him as his career has been taking off. And um, I think he actually is one of the few people on the planet that can refer to her as Auntie Jill. So that's a huge feather in his cap. <laughs> so yeah, roll with it. Definitely have to keep an eye on this one. But uh, next time we come back, uh, we're going to be going into our classic rewatch with The Awakening. Yeah, this is going to be the last two-parter in Peter Davison's era. It's only, only the two episodes, so you know, get it under your belt. It's it's a you know modern day past day blurring of the timelines kind of thing. It it's fun, but it's it's just one of those ones where you're like, oh oh oh, it's only it's only forty six minutes long. Okay. Well, this has been episode four hundred and seventy three of Gallifrey Public Radio. Until next week, this is Jay saying, don't send in the clowns, please, <laughs> not the clowns. <laughs> and this is Gear saying, we all float down here, Russell. <laughs> we all float. This is Julie saying, I'm trying to find the comparison between Charlie's Golden Ticket and these tickets, and <laughs> I'm not sure if I find it, but they're both creepy. 
And this is Haley saying, there's a time and a place for an interview, and being chased by a clown from outer space is most definitely not it. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you next time. Analyze. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Gallifrey Public Radio. Want to keep the conversation going? You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, or just send us a good old-fashioned email to feedback at gallifreypublicradio.com. You can also give us a phone call at 754-225-5477. That's 754-CALL-GPR, and you may hear your voice on a future episode of the show. Everything's got to end sometime, otherwise nothing would ever get started. Join us next week for a brand new episode. See you next week.